Welcome to Bonehead Weekly. This week, we're last week, okay, we did best anthology movies, pictures, moving pictures. This week, we're going to do the best anthology TV shows. Now, Chad argued yes. with me last week. You didn't argue with me, but you, I made a comment. I was like, oh my God, there's so many more anthology shows. And you're like, no, there isn't. And then I started looking them up and I was like, man, their definition of anthology may be different than mine. Yes, so it's an and anthology I, show. I don't know if American Horror Story is an anthology show because it's the same story for that season. I don't view that as an anthology show at but all. It's on a lot of lists. I so would argue to like I would argue thematically it's an anthology show in that it's the first season is oh that didn't scare you. Tune in next week. We're gonna do something completely different. They do a little bit, but it is the same story. Jack. Yeah, it tells one ongoing story, and yeah, all that one season. I will say one one of my picks. Um, uh, by the way, I went very recent with my picks, with the exception of one, because I thought you all would go more into the 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 deep dive of of the more classic anthologies. Uh, one of mine could be argued, but at the same time, it's a whole season, but it's not telling one continuous story like AHS does. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I don't ever. I guess it's an anthology because every season it tells a different episode, a different story. It's like True Detective. I don't know well, that I view that as an anthology. I, I don't no, view no. either it, one of those. Um, but wait, you're going to say you're saying True Detective isn't James because it's doing the same thing as American Horror no, Story. Well, what I was going to say is, Chad, I just want to know why you're bringing up the American Heifer Studies. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, it's a great journal, but I don't know what it has to do with the anthology. I don't know why. I just yeah, said it that like, way. I can't be bothered to say extra syllables. Fuck them. I <laughs> know. Uh, after, I got mush mouth. You got mush badly, mouth. but yeah, no, uh, but no, I don't agree with either one of those. Uh, anthology series for me is every episode tells a different story. That's what I was thinking about too. But and that's yeah. but it's curious behavior. But there are other. There's only two questions I have before we get started, gentlemen, if you don't mind. And the other one, I, I'm just what can I'm. I, I'm assuming we're all in agreement, and we're probably not going to talk about it. But the best anthology series of all time is what. We did a whole episode on it, The Twilight Zone. We did two. No limits. No. Thriller. Now, those are good. Don't bring up I the ones that we're going to talk about. I watched both. <laughs> and I argue with Stephen King because he talked about this in Dance Macabre, and he actually preferred those two over. And I argue that I'm telling you, you put an episode of The Twilight Zone on, 80 to 70% of those damn episodes hold up like, yeah, they were shot. Now I know they're black and white. I know blah blah blah. Most of the people are dead, but I'm telling you, I don't know how else to put it. Story wise, they hold up like they were done yesterday, if not better. I will say this: um, the new, the the more one of the newer seasons of The Outer Limits, I believe it was one in the late '90s, has one of my favorite episodes of television in history. But that being said. Twilight Zone is the best anthology show. Twilight Zone is the best anthology, if not one of the best TV shows in history. I, I, it actually may be the top three or four television shows in history. I know it's J.J. Abrams' favorite television show. And, and quite honestly, it is one of those, and I get shit for Golden, but it is like Golden Girls or something else where if it's on, I'll stop. Same here. I watched, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, well, on actually, vacation. I don't do that to get to do that anymore. I don't have cable. We stream everything. But back yeah. in the day. I was on vacation and uh, I, I was alone in the hotel room and I was slipping through the channels and Twilight Zone was on. And, and it was, it was, <laughs> it was the famous episode about the, the, the clown, the soldier, the, the ballerina in the tube and them trying to get out. Why are we in this damn bucket? Yeah. Bucket. I loved it. 
I, 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 just, I stopped watching, even though I know the twist. I know line for line what's going to happen. What a twist. Couldn't, couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop watching it. So, yeah, no. Um, but, yeah, I don't know anthology shows why they are so there are some that have failed but they a lot of the ones that i love they're just really good and it's why how can a show cat be so captivating when there's no ongoing story it's just a new story every every week you're never going or every episode there's nothing to keep the 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 people interested in them it's always something new which i think is the appeal to me i agree but they don't last long no even the twilight zone almost got pulled from the air the last season or two i mean it's right they just don't last long yeah they, they just don't last long and, and i don't know if it's because they just they they don't have that cast of characters to build off of is my personal is why they don't last yeah you you i mean television in a sense specifically television of the 50s 60s 70s and 80s and probably through most of the 90s is comfort food yeah and you oh, all the 90s yeah it didn't yeah. change until the 2000s you it's comfort food and it's comforting when red fox is telling another joke and saying you big dummy and you just kind of flip back to it and i guess that's the reason why we're able to get away with so much now i mean first was hbo and the sopranos and now you have streaming and you only have maybe 8 10 12 i did them on amazon and reviewed it it's eight or ten episodes and you can get through that in the week two weeks something like that or if you're you know home alone for the weekend you can kill it in a day yeah couldn't do that before so you can just kind of follow it and i think anthology well i don't want to start talking about new ones because i'm assuming one of those is one that chad's going to say so james you don't think twilight zone's the best anthology show of all time i'm actually not picking on you i'm just curious no i'll be honest i have a hard time because well, I, I know, think, but what's that got to do with my question? I think I think Twilight Zone is, but I think Twilight Zone also has the benefit of running as long as it did, because there are some lemons in there. Now I think the issue is Mighty few. There are. Yeah, there's it's the very limited. Is, I'm telling you, seventy percent of it. For instance, Thriller, and I love Thriller. Boris Karloff hosted Thriller, and there's an entire history allegedly that involves. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock there uh, but but the uh, the the problem with Thriller is that it is and I love Thriller Thriller has actually about four or five episodes that I would hold up against most Twilight Zone episodes the problem is Thriller never hits an even enough kill like Twilight Zone tells it started science out as true fiction crime stories what now it started out as true crime and became horror yeah, that's what I was going to say. Twilight Zone always gives you the Twilight Zone. You're going to get a twist on something. You're going to get, whereas, like you got Joe Rod said, Serling. You had yeah. one voice. Now, there were several other writers, but you had Rod Serling and kind of yeah. controlling with one voice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I, it's hard for me to think of something better than that, gentlemen. It just yeah. is. So, who wants to go first with their, with their favorite? I'll go first. Well, um, yeah. And I want, I want to talk about this. Uh, I want to start mine with the story. Um, because Sicily. <laughs> eight or nine-year-old self me. Self. I rarely, yeah, myself. I rarely got to stay up like really extra late. It was always nine or 9.30, Chad, go to bed. Damn, but, but on the weekends, as on Saturday night was my time to, 
you know, get that extra time in to just delve into whatever was on TV. I think it was uh, Billy Joel that said Saturday Night yeah. All Right for fighting. Sorry, that was only and, for myself. Keep going. And I would purposely try to stay up till about midnight Sunday morning because I would turn on the television and I would see what is probably one of the best openings for any TV show I've ever seen to this day. Starts out with a, a, a wide shot of the earth and it slowly zooms in and you get this creepy music and it just it just keeps going down and down as it gets f- further into this house and then it zooms into the house and it's this family watching television and it gets closer and it's a family of monsters. Yes. Yeah, I didn't uh, think it was Erie, Pennsylvania. No. <laughs> I love the TV show Monsters. It ran from 1988 to 1991. Again, no, it ran that long. Oh, Joe, there is a ton of episodes of the show. Um, I wish I had, I need to get a count. I didn't, I was meant to do a count before this and I didn't it do it. Syndication. Yes, it was syndicated 72 episodes long, uh, mm-hmm. which short, short episode seasons for that, that many years. Um, but it's a, it's a horror anthology. Um, and the basis of the films, let me pull up my notes again, is about it all involves every episode involves a monster of some sort uh-huh. uh, it could be a man in a suit it could be a puppet it could be anything uh and also because of the show's extremely low budget it was mostly confined to one room or set usually an apartment or a basement or some kind of underground cave yeah. something along those lines something where they were deciding whether grandpa was a haint or not <laughs> I don't know why the Christian Slater one just sticks in my head for 30 years. I don't remember that one. Yeah, Christian Slater's grandfather's dead and is like, You died. And they're talking at the table going, Oh, I'm not. I ain't a hate. Which is for you folks who may be listening and not from he's Brian Combs. You know what a hate is. But he gave us a shout out on Twitter. So I just want to give him a shout out back. But haunt. I do. I wanted to point out it was brought out. It was created by Richard Rubenstein, who's a famous producer. He actually produced Dune uh, last year, uh, which meh. <laughs> Richard Rubenstein the director. Well, what it, it said it's listed him as producers with George Romero. They were partners on always oh, yeah. Largo, but like whatever it is, Lorimar, Lorimar, whatever. I can't remember. They did. Uh, what's the other famous show, Chad? That they did. Uh, oh, Tales from the Dark Tales Side. From the Dark Side, but yep. It was also produced by Mitchell Galen. It was also co-created by Mitchell Galen too, who's uh, co-produces with Rubenstein quite a bit. They both produced a thinner. Uh, he also produced, a, you know, a Pet Cemetery in the Stand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, never which, produced anything this thinner. Um, the, what I want to talk about particularly before I get into like my favorite episodes, um, the movie had some very notable directors, and I don't know if you all know this. Uh, now, a lot of what was cool about Monsters is a lot of the directors came from the visual effect, visual effects area. They weren't television directors or, you know, uh, movie directors. They were just in, in the makeup effects. So they actually, this was their time to shine. They actually got to put their efforts in. And some of them, this was their only credit in terms of directing. Uh, but it also, uh, Tom Noonan, a great character actor, he directed a few episodes. Hmm. Uh, Manny Cotto directed a couple episodes as well uh most notably he was dr giggles directed go ahead joe oh i was thought you were going to say he was the showrunner on dexter is he's probably most notable for but well <laughs> i was going to say oh sir he gave us dr giggles but see you keep yeah. going yeah and joe you know what else you know who else had had an episode directed a uh, directing credit it's only one of two credits she she has no i was going to assume tom savini but keep going deborah hill 
Oh, she, I didn't know she directed a couple of She directed, she only directed one episode. It was this, and she has another directing credit for something else I hadn't heard of. But yeah, she, uh, her episode actually involved, it's a, it's a weird episode. It's about a government auditor who finds out that these people working in this uh, subway area are getting paid more than any other area. Yeah. And he has to go down there and find out why and why they're getting paid extra. It turns out to be the big twist. Um, it's kind of monsters. It's a monster. <laughs> uh, episodes were written, and this is another, what a twist. Uh, here's a, a, a look at the list of writers too. I mean, some of them don't stick out, but here's a few that do. Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban, absolutely. He's a great Paul, character actor. Yeah, Paul Denny. Larry okay. Charles wrote an episode of Monsters. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, and then one episode, guys, was actually written by. Stephen King, The Finger. Dude, Can I guess which one it was? Just just uh, real quick, and then I'll move on because I'll burn through this real quick. Can you all guess just what the plot of The Finger is? It's about his big toe. <laughs> James, you want to go for a stab? Uh, uh, is it a finger is missing off of a body? No. Tom Noonan is the star of this episode. Suddenly he comes into his apartment and there is a very long, extremely long finger coming out of his sink. <laughs> yeah, that's the short story. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all about this thing and it just keeps growing and growing and they're trying to get rid of the finger and it just keeps coming back. Um, it's a great episode. Uh, but also some of the stars of the uh, we have Meatloaf, Adrian Barbeau, Linda Blair. He brought he got brought up numerous times in last episode, so we got to bring up Steve Buscemi was in an episode of Monsters. What? I bet that's how he landed that tales from the dark side of the movie role. I would guess so. Uh, Abe Vigoda, Tony Shalhoub, and of course I have to mention this man as many times as I can because when we did the supporting actors role, I still kick myself for not mentioning him. Luis Guzman is in an episode of Monsters. Now, to end this, I want to talk about my favorite episode of Monsters. It is The Farmer's Daughter. Sorry. Uh, it's everything. The title says it. Yes. Uh, a traveling salesman who ends up on a remote farm and has to shack up for the night because of a, of a huge storm. Uh, things get out of hand when he breaks the one rule laid out by the, the, the nice old couple there. Do not mess with our daughter. Now... I've seen that episode of Futurama where uh, Bender messes with the crusher. <laughs> Do you want to guess the suave salesman uh, who uh, messes with the farmer's daughter, guys? Who is it? James, do you want to take one guess? Please let it be Leonard Nimoy. Not even close. Soupy Sales. And I want to point out, Soupy Sales was 63 years old <laughs> when he did this role. And by the way, if you IMDb Soupy Sales, this is what plays on, uh, uh, next to his profile, this episode of Monsters. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, if you don't know who Soupy Sales is, people look him up. He was a he was a comedian back in the in the the, the 50s and 60s, guys, if not uh, yeah, 40s. I, I think Soupy Sales actually started out in vaudeville. Yeah, vaudeville. he was in vaudeville. He, there's a long history with him and Howard Stern. I won't get into, but um, yeah, Soupy Sales. That's where I want to end with Monsters. If you haven't seen it, it's it's a it's available to stream for free. I think on Freebie or IMDb TV was what it once was called. I need um, to go back and watch it. I barely remember just a few. 
It's it's truthfully, guys, it is not good. It's not. It's it's not. It's no, just, no, it, it's just always truthfully. I mean, honest to God, no, I'd rather gouge well my eyes. It's not that bad, is it? It's mem- no, there are some episodes that are God blessed terrible, but uh, there are a few that stick out, and it's just it's just corny cornball fun for me. Um, takes my mind away from from things that it just I just enjoy it. Yeah. So yeah, monsters. Who goes next? I'll go next. We're gonna do Freddy's nightmares. I knew that. See, I no, didn't knew it. it. I'm not doing it. And here's the reason why: I never watched it, and then I got a subscription to some obscure ass horror whatever. And I watched the first one that's directed by Toby Hooper about how Freddy becomes Freddy. And it was awful. And I've never went back to it. And there's a streaming service where it's on. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know later. I can't remember off the top of my head. I need. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to pay for it, but it's four man, bucks. It's probably more than, I mean, for it, but no, the one I want to do is truly one that's close to my heart. Like Chad, it was one that I tried to get to watch anytime I could. It came on at eight, eight 30 on NBC amazing stories 85 to 87 yeah yeah that's uh, i, I was going to bring it up so i was like i we get yeah. i eventually yeah, yeah. want to do i'd like to do an episode about amazing stories and dig into it because now they're not all good by some of them are fantastic but some of them are really really damn good yeah right? The thing yeah. about amazing stories is, is you got to think it came out in 85, 84 and, and, and Spielberg was two to three years removed from E.T. 84 was also uh, Indiana Jones uh, and the Temple of Doom, right? Yep. Guys? I mean, there is nothing on the surface of the sun that was any hot, hotter than Steven Spielberg. No, oh, yeah. Steven Spielberg has cooled down that much over the years. But in the 80s, though, there was no. There and was I mean, nothing. still. There's no stopping him now. No. Except for, uh, yeah, but no, there was nothing in the 80s. that was nothing that Steven Spielberg didn't touch that didn't turn to gold. I mean, and even if he didn't direct it, the producing credits alone, if you look down from anything from the Goonies to... Spielberg, Cocaine, and Alf. Yeah, that's what you need to know. And and it's uh, by the way, they have Alf stuff now at Target. Keep I know your wife sent us a picture. Little obscure trivia, by the way, about that. Uh, you could get all of those for free with a kid's meal at certain Burger King. (laughs) Now, the other, the last two, it was a very specific Burger King, and I'm not allowed to go into detail. And and the cocaine wasn't free. Oh, no, no, the the cocaine was free. They just assured me that that kid's meal was $400 an ounce. Okay, so amazing stories was it a very happy meal, and it whereas monsters was no budget, amazing stories was all the budgets. Oh my god, yeah, the problem is that it's too damned expensive to do for TV. I think one episode of amazing stories covered the entire 72 run budget for monsters. I mean, there's a few, there's a couple directed by Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis. Martin score freaking Sazy directed one called Mirror Mirror that's that's really good. It's a horror one too. Yeah. Go ahead. Do you, do you do you think that's we're getting back to that though with what? some of the stuff we're seeing streaming? Because what what was the final quote on what the new Middle Earth series costs? Oh, I don't. Some close to a billion, right? Something yeah, like, yeah. Like it's. Gonna, I don't even know if that's true, but it was a ridiculous. Yeah. Number. Jeff Bezos had to wait a year to buy his whole his yacht because of that's it. Sad. Mm-hmm. the I've thing about <clears throat> the thing about and not just i'm not talking about his main yacht i'm talking about the yacht attached to the yacht 
Now, is that the yacht that he had to have them tear down that historic bridge in Norway for? No, 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 no. That's the main yacht. I'm talking about the yacht that was attached to that yacht. By the way, I, I wasn't being sarcastic amazing there. stories? No, because I've got an amazing story about that bridge being destroyed in Norway. Seriously, can you imagine having the intestinal fortitude to call it up a government and say, listen, I had this big old boat. Now, I know that's a historic bridge made out of stone that's, you know, 400 years old or whatever, but I can't get my boat under it. So I'm going to need you to tear that down. And them eventually saying, okay, sorry. So back to amazing stories. You were talking about your list of directors, Chad. I'm going to give you just a quick. Now You just did. No, I'm giving you a better list. These are the people that directed. Better than Scorsese? He'll remember that. Spielberg? Bartell, Chad, directed two episodes. That's right. Eating Raul's Paul Bartell gave you two episodes. Joe Dante had two. Bob Balaban, Chad. Yeah. Cheating on with. Do you know who he was cheating with when he was off doing Monsters? Amazing stories. Oh. If you don't know who Bob Clark is, Bob Clark directed The Christmas Story. Danny DeVito. Mick Garris got his, really his big start writing and directing for Amazing Stories. Yeah. And we talked about it when he was on the show. Uh, Burt Reynolds, uh, Tom Holland, Irvin Kirshner, Scorsese, Zemeckis, and Brad Bird. Who's Brad Bird, Chad? Oh, he, he's a little nobody who went on to do nothing. Toby Hooper and Nick and Nick. I will say, uh, yeah, uh, the but in all fair, Brad Bird's episode of the fa- uh, Family Dog uh, was one of my favorites at the time, it's and it led. It's still pretty good, and it led off to the animation, uh, the animated episode series of uh, Family Dog, which I have an animated sale upstairs. It's one of my proud, one of my proud moments of my collection. Uh, did not hold up. It held up for the first few episodes, great, and then it just kind of went downhill. But yeah, no, Family Dog's great. So one of these, one of the directors I didn't mention who directed an episode was Clint Eastwood. Yep. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. It is one of the most dreadful pieces of shit television 25 minutes you've ever seen. It's kind of a love story. Uh, it's awful. It's just God awful. I think it may have Harvey Cottell in it. Now, uh, now question. Did you watch any of the, the, the Apple TV? Episodes? I have not because I don't have Apple TV. I had it. I, I guys, I honestly, I, I couldn't watch. I couldn't get through it. I thought it was boring. I like the Twilight Zone one on Paramount Plus. Yeah, We've I need to watch. That. I haven't watched that one yet. Actually, not all no. of them are great, but I like no. aspects of almost all of them. So the one thing I'm going to Chad gave a little bit of history. I'm going to give you one story about this. Orson Welles was going to direct an amazing story. Burt Reynolds says he had it all set up and Spielberg was ready to go. Now, Orson died in 85, 86, right around the same time it came out. So he got sick and, and it didn't make out. And Burt Reynolds ended up directing an episode with stars. So I can't imagine this was the episode he was going to do, but it stars Dom DeLuise and Burt's wife at the time. Bonnie Anderson. Bonnie Anderson. And one of them is, uh, what I think, I can't remember if she is, if he's Cupid and she's love or whatever, and they fall in love on a cruise ship. So Dom hmm. DeLuise falling in love with Lonnie Anderson. So you're saying that was going to be the Orson Welles I episode? I still think that, I mean, that's what Bert said as he had it all set up, but I've seen that episode. I just can't imagine that's the one that Orson was going to do. Yeah, that seems like a primo. You understand this, why I told Burt Reynolds, Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's, it's Burt. If you haven't seen a Burt Reynolds directed comedy, that sounds exactly like what The Burt Reynolds directed comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get a good car picture. Dom Delo, he's funny guy. Funny guy. Funny guy. I mean, I get it. He is a funny guy, 
but I just don't. I mean, some of the amazing stories I you were talking about some of your favorites. Uh, the amazing what I'll say about this is I have a hard time trying to pick a favorite episode, although the head of the class directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, it's it's one that we boneheads watch we've watched several times routinely over the years for halloween and on top of that but it's clear the whole opening shot of it is zemeckis just ripping off himself from back to the future yep right a lot it's all in the bedroom yeah right right out of back to the future the way he shot it so that's all i'm going to say about amazing stories but the last thing is it actually has my favorite opening of any show of any time the opening credit sequence is the best. oh god yeah yeah no it's uh in the music john williams and if you walk through universal studios they still play it well they did a few i haven't been there in seven or eight years but you could still hear it several different places you can i don't think it. i heard it when i was there a couple so, years, ago, years ago i love amazing stories i was looking for it the other day just to put on it's just comfort i think i gave it back to you i don't have it here anymore no, when I didn't want to get the, I was looking for it for free because my lazy ass didn't want to walk over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish it would come Heavy out. So head that wears the crown. Because I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, I gave it back to Joe too soon, prematurely, and I didn't get to actually finish the the this. Or at the, any time, you know where I live. I know, and I probably will, but I just I loved it. <laughs> I do love, yeah, amazing, amazing stories. <laughs> it is, God, it, I, I truly, I'm standing behind the statement. It has the best opening credits of any show ever made. Even the Twilight Zone. Oh, yeah. yeah I like it just yeah. slightly better, but the Twilight Zone no, is... No, I gotta disagree. I said I like it slightly I know, better. but you're wrong. Twilight That's why I said I have to disagree. Yeah, we can disagree, Joe. Yeah, we can. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> James, what's James. your pick? My pick is Joe That's Cross. the stupidest shit I ever heard! <laughs> Well, I, once again, I, I'm going to stick to the fact that we're a pop culture podcast and talk about an anthology that's not a, I know we're doing television, but I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to break a rule anyway. Yeah, and do yeah. I was going to say the specific, the the specific the I know episodes. you all aren't going to be able to do the, what do the one where I'd get to bring this up. So I'm doing it here. Okay. Bite me. Uh, <laughs> bite me. It's angry. fun. Drive um, to Kentucky. I'll bite you right on your flat rear, buddy. <laughs> I don't think you've seen me lately. Flat. It's not overly flat. <laughs> no. I'm the one with no ass. <laughs> uh, anyway, but since I know we won't do an anthology that is dedicated to this field, I have to do it here. This anthology is the only thing that's a thread that runs through all of it is the name of the place, the town. Now, the stories technically could interact, but they don't. And that's a video game that was adapted into a film silent hill okay i know you all aren't gamers but if you play the silent hill video games they're not the same character it's just these people that happen to get trapped or pulled in to the place of silent hill and the stories do not overlap there's different reasons if you for you all that watch the film it's it's the father in the video game but it's a lost child right the child disappears in the town and you have to go find them but in the other games there's different story so the second silent hill is um a guy searching for his wife has died but all of a sudden he receives a letter saying she's not really dead you should come to this place and of course that place ends these coordinates and that place ends up being silent hill uh the third one follows a teenage girl who's a runaway who ends up running into silent hill I could go on and on. The the one that actually yes, is 
the fifth game is Origins and actually tells the story of a trucker, Travis Grady, who becomes trapped because he saves a girl from a burning house. But then he ends up taking her to Silent Hill. She dies, but he keeps seeing her. And so it follows that story. There's there's a total of seven games. The last full game came out in 2012. So it was uh, released 1999 to 2012, a total of seven games. Uh, now, there are other ones. There was, a, there was arcade games, stuff like that. But that being said, most of them are, are reissues of the previous games. As an anthology, though, there is overlapping symbolism. There are overlapping characters. There's there's the nurses that tend to pop up in these. There's the, and, and of course they're creepy. I mean, obviously everything about this town is creepy. But I wanted to bring it up because we've gotten two movies and allegedly we're getting a third. 2020, they said they were working on a script for a third installment. Uh, and I'll be honest, I never saw the second installment because I heard it wasn't great. But that first movie was effective. That stupid alarm, the stupid siren, everything about that worked for me. That being said, I wanted to bring it up because as a video game anthology, again, it's one of the few video game anthologies that the only thing linking this is this idea of a place and it's Silent Hill. And so if, you, if you're if you interested in a video game anthology, you probably should check out Silent Hill. Uh, play it in the dark by yourself and set yourself on fire and see what happens. <laughs> Don't do that last part. That would be stupid. Why would you do that? Jeez, Chad. All right, I'm going more modern uh, because uh, I love animation. It's comfort food for me, um, and I love really do potatoes. love. I love animation more than mashed potatoes. Um, what? It's true. It was <clears throat> I could do without mashed potatoes for the rest of my life. I couldn't do without animation. Well, we could see. <laughs> love death and robots. That's good. I need to watch it. I still haven't got a chance. It, I really, really do love this show. It's one of the main reasons that I didn't want to cancel Netflix, which, by the way, when I turned out, I was one of the big reasons that caused Netflix to plunge. Well, I don't think you were subscribing that much. Uh, no, I wasn't. But I was in that quarter where it said all of our people dropped out. and like, oh, no. And then they, the first thing they cut, the animation department. Um, so I was like, I felt a little bad about that one. Uh, but it's a love death and robots if you haven't seen it or haven't heard of it if you don't have netflix it's a series of short animated episodes that cover all kinds of genres related to science fiction horror comedy and fantasy um, and they're all done in different animation styles each episode you're getting something different um, the show was produced by david fincher and created by tim miller uh, what I like about the show is it takes on all different forms of animation, as I mentioned, uh, and it uses it to create stories for adults. It's not kid oriented. Um, so that's that was one of the cool features, even though you can sit down with your kids and watch certain episodes. Um, one episode will have a very advanced computer animation and the next will be stop motion. And then the next one will be like a, a mixture of animation with real uh, real life uh, actors like Topher Grace and Bryce Dallas Howard looking into a fridge as a small uh, community develops. It's crazy, every, epi every episode's different. Um, some of my favorite episodes, and I, like I said, this one's gonna be fast because uh, most people know this if they have Netflix, um, are the, uh, and they're all written by John Scalzi, uh, which James can attest is a, is a great science fiction and fantasy oh, writer. 
if you if you've never had a chance read old man's war it's fascinating i mean just the premise of it is it's a novel and the idea is that you go into military service in space when you're old because gravity doesn't slow you down it doesn't matter that you don't have the muscle tone right and so that's that's the entire plot and so the the story begins with uh, the protagonist visiting his wife's grave, putting flowers on the last time, and going into the service, knowing and really wanting to die. And then there's a series of books that follow that. The first one's Old Man's War. Check it out. There's also, a, he's, he does a great job in a, a novel called Red Shirts, Shirts, where he makes fun of the Star Trek phenomenon, but it's not really set in Star Trek, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, Will Wheaton does the audio book. Which I, I actually have in my car. Um, and then there's also another novel, James. I, I have it upstairs. You gave it to me as a Christmas gift that I'm blanking on the title. Do dream, do something, something about dreaming of sheep. I'm forgetting the name of the title. Dream of electric sheep. No, no it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a play a, on that. It's a play on play that title. On it. Oh, um, um, Kate Dix, but not story, but no, it's. Well, now I want to watch this, read this old man's war. Cause I, yeah. the first time I ever read anything about that was actually Arthur C. Clarke talks about it in 2069, either the third yeah. or the fourth book. And you can get an idea of Scalzi's. Uh, if you look at uh, these three episodes called Three Robots, when the yogurt took over and alternate histories, mm-hmm. which alternate histories is just a, a eight minute animated short that covers all the different ways uh, you could go back in history and kill Hitler. It's great. It's, it's really interesting if you haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, two other ones I really like are the drowned giant, um, which is a, uh, Suddenly, these people would live in this beachfront town, and a giant naked man pulls up on their shore. And it's all about these. Uh, it goes through the different seasons of of what people are doing with this gigantic dead naked man as he slowly decomposes. It is truly interesting. Uh, and then also suits, which takes place in this. It's a it's farmers, and all of a sudden they have mecha suits and they're fighting aliens off their farm. It's really good. I I, I can't. It, it, just watch this show if you haven't it's a quick watch because each episode is only five to eight minutes long the first uh, first season is 12 episodes and then the second season six the third season just uh, got released i'm going to renew my netflix subscription so i can watch that uh when stranger things four come when season four of stranger things comes out i'm going to marathon both of those um so yeah love death and robots check it out okay my next one is also comfort food and also really easy to guess if you know that much about me, but it truly was an event for me in the 2000s. And I, especially in that first season, there's so many episodes that I still really like and it's Masters of Horror. We had Mick Garris on the show. And once again, dropping names to people who are already listening to us, go back and listen to the episode. But Masters of Horror came about because it would have only existed at that time in history. Right, gentlemen, we've talked about yeah. it. Yeah. Because they gave them a million, million something plus to do one episode. In the re- and it was for Showtime. Showtime was covering part of the budget. But actually, Anchor Bay was really footing the bill. Because at that time in 2005, 2006, there was nothing hotter than the DVD market when it came to entertainment. People were... Right ravaging through walmart and all these other places buying all the dvds all the media we were three of them as well yeah and if they there it was a license to print money with these masters of horror and it only lasted a couple of seasons and then showtime cut it and then it went to something called nbc has re 
packaged, rebranded Fear itself, and of course lost every. What did it lose, gentlemen, when it went to NBC? It lost its edge for one thing. There's just no edge. It's hard to do. There's a couple of episodes that aren't bad. One of them stars that Kate Moss, not Kate Moss, but I can't think of her name for Mad Men, who is in The Invisible Man. She's in a prison. Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Thank you, Chad. She's You're welcome. Actually, have you watched it? It's in a jail that's closing down, and it's no. uh, It's actually directed by, we no longer have him anymore. Oh, crap. Director of Reanimator. Why did I just go blank? Oh, Gordon. Stuart Gordon. Yeah, Stuart Gordon directed it. He directed one for each season. He's one of the few directors. Him and John Landis are one of the few that actually directed one for each season. The first two seasons have one of the arguably, and we've talked to, I don't want to talk about too much on here because we've kind of covered a lot of this stuff. John Carpenter's last best piece of work. God, is yeah. From, from that, the, I was, I was going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Joe. No, but that's, the, no. that's his, that movie is his last I'm, best piece of work. I was going to say, if you had to pull an episode out of uh, Masters of Horror that said, Chad, pick your favorite one, Cigarette Burns. Yeah. It is. It is. The, hands down, other than the George Wynn episode. George Wynn's okay. That's actually directed by John Landis, too. Yeah, but no, no but no, cigarette, cigarette Burns is my favorite, <laughs> but I like, I really like that John Landis. Another but, one I really liked was the last, is direct, is written by Joe, Joe, based on a story by Joe R. Lansdale, and is directed, oh my God, my mind is went blank tonight. It's called Incident on and off a mountain road. And it's the proper Halloween. Oh, uh, Phantasm, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Who stands oh. head and shoulders? Boba Hotep, James. Why can't I? Coscarizzi, Don Coscarelli. Don Coscarelli, Don Coscarelli yeah, by really. the way, who I've interviewed and met and spent time with. Nice guy. He is a foot and 14 inches taller than me. He is taller than Angus Scrim. Don Coscarelli, I almost said Coscarizzi again, should have been playing the tall man the whole time. That guy has to be 6'6", six, 6'5". Six, six, Did you guys see him? No, Who's I He's tall mm-hmm. as shit. Anyway, I really like that one too. There's several other ones, and there's a couple from the second season. I don't like Joe Dante's Homecoming as much as I do the one uh, called the Screw Fly Solution that he did for the second season, which I really like. Who directed the one about the guy who couldn't handle the noise? Who, who was the who monitored the the uh, call center? Mm-hmm. I don't I, remember. Jeez, I can't. That's one of my that that's one of my personal favorites. That's another one. Another one directed by Larry Cohen, written by another one of our of uh, by <laughs> written by David Scow, who has been on our show, is one of James's favorites, right? James, yeah. you'll do a line from uh, from Pick Me Up. Not my victim. All right, not my victim. Not my victim. Two serial killers meet on a road, and it's the stereotype mm-hmm. of the serial killers, right? It's a trucker. Right. Yeah, and a hitchhiker, only with good acting because the trucker is played by a uh, oh, fantastic character actor who's in all of the Larry Cohen films. So if you ever get a chance to check out Masters of Horror, they're mostly pretty good. Mm-hmm. Some not so good, right? Uh, what's the one the Washingtonians about where everybody was a uh, George Washington and all the, uh, the founding fathers were all uh, cannibals? Cannibals. That's not that. Yeah. also the ice cream one that's also directed by tom holland i tell you which one i really couldn't stand and it, it's an unpopular opinion it was the one with stephen weber directed by the the guy who did like audition jennifer. jennifer yeah i didn't care for jennifer it's directed well, that's by based dario on argento a... oh was that dario argento i thought it was the guy who did audition no dario argento no the uh, one they... audition they wouldn't let on showtime you had to buy the dvd yes oh my uh fault. who 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 wrote who who wrote 
what Jennifer was based on. Because it's from Creepy. It's an adaptation of the graphic because Bernie Wrightson did the art for it. Yeah, I don't know. Did Mick Garris do the adaptation of the writing? I know he I, actually, and I'm not crazy about Mick Garris's either. It's called Chocolate. And um, Henry Thomas, who from E.T., but Henry Thomas was also on a bunch of Mick Garris stuff. He's in Psycho 4. He was in Desperation. He played the dad. He gets killed in the beginning. Oh, gotcha. I because I didn't care for chocolate either. Let's see. That one's kind of boring. There was actually, that was, he tells the story about, it was originally a theatrical lent script. And then he cut it down and made it work for Masters of Horror. And Dario patted him on the back and goes, ah, oh, it's probably better. By the way, just just real quick, uh, the story was by Bernie Wrightson and Bruce Jones. Oh, I didn't Bernie know. Bernie Wrightson that. had passed away. Yeah, it's it's in Creepy. Uh, if you get the complete art of Bernie Wrightson and Creepy, it's a hardcover book. I recommend it. By the way, it's phenomenal. If you like Bernie Wrightson art, you really should have it. Uh, that being said, uh, and then the it was adapted to screen by Steve Weber. Oh, Stephen Weber. Stephen Weber is really good in it. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I like him a lot. I, I actually like that one. So anyway, if you've never seen Masters of Horror, I highly recommend it. Check it out. You can, I think it's streaming on Screenbox or something like that. You can watch it. There's a couple of places you can watch it for fairly free. Check it out. Masters of Horror, James. You know, I'm going to pick one that's a little bit recent, and I'm going to pick it because not necessarily i like what they've done in general so far but i'm gonna pick it because it's still airing there's another season coming and i think i think it has a ton of potential and that is the only uh well i can't say that what if um based in the world of marvel marvel comics uh it's an anthology series that asks exactly that it's based on a comic series that had multiple volumes multiple editions over the years but it's basically they take one thing that happens and ask what if what if one thing changed so what if captain america didn't get frozen that's not one of the episodes by the way it's one of the original comics what if x what if y right and so one of the things that i'm excited about is we're heading into phase four and you know allegedly we're going to start to see a lot of characters that um we we should have saw earlier had rights worked out that being said there were a lot of what ifs that looked at that one of the the most interesting what if stories from one of the from volume one the the one that ran the longest looked at what if dr doom became a hero and that's really interesting because dr doom is he is really the rival of almost all of marvel right Mm -hmm. he's a master scientist that can rival reed richards mr fantastic but he's also a sorcerer that can rival dr strange matter of fact one of the best comic books that involves dr doom is uh about dr doom having to go to dr strange and say i need you to help me basically they have to rescue his mother's soul from hell and it, you get to see Doctor Doom in a different light. It's a fascinating book. That way, well, anyway. That being said, and that's why I said I want to talk about it as a potential. What we have gotten so far has worked relatively well. We finally, for some people, we finally got a "What If Zombies" um, storyline, which I know a lot of people wanted to see. That was like the weakest episode, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and my entire thing is like there's there's been so many so if you if you follow the comics as well i mean ash from the evil dead have fought has fought the marvel zombies yeah. they're extremely popular it's not my thing but 
one of the things about it, like I said, is this is a series that has tons of potential because once we get all the characters, there's been two different, like, for those that don't know, um, what, the first appearance of Wolverine was not in X-Men. It was in The Incredible Hulk. And he was hired to kill The Incredible Hulk. He was a villain. And, you know, the character got adapted over time, et cetera, et cetera. And you actually that, have it. We actually have a short animated film on Hulk versus Wolverine, kind of along those same lines. Yeah. Yeah. And so, that being said, one of the things that happens um, is that they did a what if um, Wolverine had killed the Hulk, and then in a later volume they did the other one, what if Hulk killed Wolverine. And so you see all the things start to unwind. You see different things happen. You get to see. It's a fascinating way to look at, really, now we're to the point of, what, 80 years of comic book history? Yeah. And ask, what if we changed one little thing and see how, in some ways, tight-knit that reality is? And, and when you have a good writer working on it, it's really fascinating. And as a TV series, I mean, like I said, I really like it, um, what they've done. As Chad said, not every episode is a winner. The last episode... Um, what if the watcher broke his oath is somewhat based on a comic book uh however it's not exactly based because they didn't have all the they they didn't want to play their hands too early because in the comic book uh the watcher breaks his oath to stop galactus yeah which which doesn't isn't isn't a big enough figure yet in the marvel comics but those stories are fascinating to me and there's so many different ones you know that uh, what if venom uh, took over Frank Castle because Venom, the symbiote, wants vengeance. Well, who better than the Punisher, right? So many different stories that looks at that and so many different things like that. So as a show that is currently on, trying to be a little modern, that has a ton of potential, if they continue to play it right, I think what if, if you're a comic book fan or a fan of those characters, I can't even say comic book anymore because there's people that have never picked up a comic book that love those characters now. If you're a fan of those characters, this is a show that could really do a lot as time goes on. And I, I'm going to get on and we'll move on, but I'll get on my nerve, my nerd soapbox here for a minute. And that's the big problem I have with this, this series is it has so much potential, but all Disney is doing is tying it into the movie franchise yeah, and, to, uh, and, and altering the movie, the movie stories. It's yeah. how can we alter the actual story we've already told? Not, Hey, here's this character let's see something fun we could do with it. I mean, and that's, that was the the main problem I had with that is, Oh, they're just tying it back into the movies, not actually using the characters in, in the way that that what if comic book is intended for. That was yeah, my biggest. Uh, and I was about to say, and if you're a fan of Marvel or of uh, into the spider verse, those movies, you should also really check out the comics because a lot of what you see pop up there owes some origins, some of it to what if comics as well it's also what the which was a comedy version of what if that also gave us the first spider ham peter porker the spectacular spider ham Rewatched it yesterday actually showed it to my kid so yep, i showed fun. i showed it to my daughters the other, the other, they loved it i'm so pumped for He's okay with it i'm so pumped i want i want spider-man 2099 i'm waiting i need that i need that to get here now all right yeah. jed all right. All right, my again, I'm going more modern because I really, I really thought you guys would go more the classical route. So I want to talk about um, one that's on Amazon, Tales from the Loop. 
Have either one of you all seen an episode? No, I've heard about I it. I saw the trailer and went, oh my God, I want to watch that. And then as it turns out, I had to go back to work and I haven't got to watch it. Yeah, that's, that's me. It's on a I really, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it, it is not ever, it's not for everybody's cup of tea. Cause it is, it is, I'll get into that, but I want to talk about what it is first. Uh, it's an eight episode series. I don't know if we're going to get a, a series two, um, but it focuses on the lives of people living in a small town in Mercer, Ohio. Now, the thing about Mercer, Ohio in this, in this, in this, uh, series is that underneath the ground is a facility called the Mercer center for experimental physics. It's also referred to as the loop. Um, the series was created by Nathaniel Halpern, mostly known for he uh, created the show Legion on FX. Yeah, which um, is based on a Marvel comic, right? Which is based on the Marvel comic of Professor Xavier's son. But the show has a weird origin. It's actually based on an art book, not actual stories, just a series of paintings. Uh, from Swedish artist Simon, and I'm going to butcher his name because it's Swedish, Simon Stalinhag, which sounds German. I'm not doing the, the Swedish translation correctly. Uh, Simon's artwork revolves. I really wish him. you, I wish you would, would, would. His name is, I'm going to mispronounce this, Simon Jennings. See, that would have been funny because your name is Jennings. You see, that's. Yeah. simon's artwork revolves around rural landscapes but in the landscapes uh he puts in various forms of high uh, advanced technology into the environment it just melds in like for example there's a father and son or a grandfather and and his grandson walking through a field and there's a giant chicken walker type robot in the background just melded into the field there is there there is a great album cover. I haven't seen his work, but there's a great album cover I love. Um, and it's on a Moody Blues album. And it's, it's exactly like that. And I forget the name of the album, but it's basically an oompa band and all of that stuff. But if you look up in the corner, there's an obvious satellite just hanging there. But you don't, when you see the art to the, uh, uh, the thing, I think it's Long Distance Traveler is the name of the album. Um, but it, on the original LP, you can see if you look close enough, there was a random thing. And by the way, the reason I bring that up is that sounds fascinating because I remember that album cover and I haven't seen it in 20 years. Hmm. So I'll have to check that guy's artwork out. Yeah, see, yeah. he taught me something today. It's I'm really like Joe. Be- <laughs> and and it's, it's, it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. The artwork is really beautiful. Uh, but most of the episodes, and this is why it's not everybody's cup of tea, they are very, very quiet. I mean, it mostly focuses on one person, not a lot of dialogue. I don't, honestly, guys, I don't even remember a soundtrack. I don't think there's much of a soundtrack involved in the movie or the the show. It's just each episode involves one individual from the town and how their use of technology or their run-in with technology that is being created by the loop drastically alters their lives. And for the most part, none of it's for the better. Uh, which is another thing it's 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 a hard watch because some of the episodes are very uh, uh, pull at your heartstrings because it just does not go well for everybody in in, in this the short time frame that it, this that this series runs um one of my personal favorite episodes i really want to mention this is called transpose um and then i'll move on to joe um it's about these two boys uh one's a one's a jock one's a geek um, and they're friends and they go through this, they're, they're going through the woods talking about how each one of their lives is not the best. Uh, 
and they run into this this um, cylinder, not a cylinder. It's a, a circular. I anyway. Um, sphere. Sphere. Thank you. Good God. <laughs> oh, void. Geom- way, it, it was it was long distance Voyager. I didn't want angry Moody Blues fans to call me. Well, geology, not my best best math. Pause. Wait for laughter. Move Wait on. for laughter. All right. Move on. All right. <laughs> Fear, yes. You're watching a dust. I almost said a Dustin Diamond film. You're watching a Dustin Hoffman film. But uh, anyway, they the, the boys climb into this uh, sphere for no reason whatsoever. And by the way, sphere one of sphere one of my favorite Michael Crichton novels, and I couldn't come up with it. Uh, anyway, um, they walk. They crawl. They crawl into this, and something weird happens to him. And it just and the whole episode goes about how they it alters their lives drastically and it does not work out for for them in the in the long run. Um, so, yeah, I just highly recommend Tales from the Loop. It's a quick watch eight hour. It's eight. It's eight episodes. Each one's about 50 minutes long. Um, and it and it has some great actors in it. So, yeah, highly recommend it. Joe, I'm trying to get this stupid pause, but no, I mean, it's not. Yeah, Joe. Joe paused the whole recording, so nobody heard my my last. I'd say what Joe is doing is he pauses anytime we're talking. We're talking. And he yeah. resumes when it's, it's oh, the Joe Show starring him. Hey, he's Joe. It's the Joe Show, oh, and he's got lots of great guests. Now, all right. So, what I really we're in our third one, right? Yep. So this is kind of a twofer. So what I want to say is what I really one of my favorite when you start talking about new ones is. Um, damn it my head has went but i'm not going to talk about it right now what i want to talk about is actually one that's not one of my favorites i remember it fondly and some of them hold up okay but it's the alfred hitchcock presents i need to go back and watch it i used to love it as a kid but i couldn't tell you one single episode of alfred Hitchcock. i actually I i will tell you this real quick james i actually when i was really young i preferred hitchcock over over twilight zone i don't know what i was thinking I think you probably liked Hitchcock. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, and, and I'll get to that in a second. Hitchcock. I want to talk about it. Hitchcock is more mysteries, right? I mean, if you like mysteries, it is. It is dark. It is mystery. It can be horror, but it, it usually has some sort of twist, and it's usually a comedic twist. Because one of the one of the episodes I remember, Chad, is, is um, and I can't tell you the actor, and I can't tell you, but I saw it when I was young. It's burnt to my memory. Is uh, the guy gets pulled over, and he's basically in a town where the judge is also the sheriff of the small town, and that's the entire twist. Like he's put on, he's arrested, put on trial, all by the same guy, and it becomes, as Joe said, it becomes really comedic because he goes, "Well, you know," he goes, "Do you have any evidence to refute the the sheriff or the the officer?" And he goes, "You're the officer," and he goes, "I know, but can you refute me?" I mean, <laughs> well, it's really just. And it, but it, it be, it's also kind of horrific because you realize there is no way out for this guy. So, it's, yeah, anyway. So. Anyway, I didn't realize that it ran for 52. It ran seven seasons, guys. Did you know it ran that long? No. Yeah. There's a lot. Of, many, there's 268 episodes, Chad. Damn. Of Alfred Hitchcock. And here's a few things I want to go over with you guys as we go, because this is the reason why I picked this instead of what our. Which actually I prefer a little bit more just because I find the history of it so interesting. I also find it interesting that really what it did is that you remember Hitchcock, but probably the reason, one of the reasons, not only because he's in a tour, but from the show, because 
he shot every single one of those opening and closing credits for 268 episodes. It made him bigger than a director. It made him a superstar in the United yeah. States and in Europe. He was famous for the movies. Did you know Psycho was almost an episode of how Hitchcock presents? Yeah, I knew that. Most of the, that's the reason why it was really shot for television. And we all have talked about it because he had to do it low budget. A lot of the sets are right out of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. One of the things I find fascinating about it was that every single one of those inventive outros and intros with all the puns and everything, because he loved a pun, were all written by the same dude. Did you guys know that? James B. Allardis, and he never got credit for it. Well, I didn't know that. They're all written by the one same person. And here's another thing I find fascinating, was that Hitch... The, the two parts, first of all, they would read them and go, Hitch will never say this. And they remember, oh, yeah, he will. He said every one of them never, not one time made, as, as anybody can remember, objected to any of the crazy shit that he said during 268 episodes for the intro and outro. Hmm. Second, he liked it when they were punny and he loved it when they picked on the sponsors. In America, <laughs> which was often. Which was often. In America, he could get away with it. In Europe, the sponsors would get livid. So he would have to oftentimes <clears throat> shoot two, if not three different intros and outros for the same episode. And he would have to sometimes do them in German and in French because in Europe, he would get in trouble for it. He spoke German and French fluently. He's the one who did the voice. Wow. Right? That's, that's exhausting. Yeah, but he just thought it was hilarious to make fun of the sponsors. And anytime they could throw one in, he could get away with it in the United States, but he couldn't get away with it here. And I find it fascinating that a lot of the fame that would have drove most of us crazy came from the TV show because there's two, seven seasons. I had no idea there was 268 episodes. So that lasted more than any of the... the it lasted the, longer than any of them. That was the reason why I just went ahead and this is my third one because the history of it is fascinating. I was say, how many episodes did Night Gallery last? It didn't last that oh, long. Oh, it was only two or three seasons at most. Okay. I, I mean, Night Gallery right now is usually only... Only time I ever hear anybody talk about Night Gallery is to talk about, oh, that's Spielberg, right? Because yeah. he's directing on the pilot. Yeah. Huh. Uh, in the last three seasons, the show was actually, I forgot about this, but they did this for, they did this too for the Twilight Zone. It, the, the, it was extended from 30 minutes to an hour, but I'm almost always, even with that Twilight Zone, prefer the 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you just kind of want that tasty little. It was like the Den, Dennis Hopper as a Nazi. That was an hour long one, right? And that's one of my least favorite episodes of Twilight right. Zone. I, it's not one of my least favorites. I, I think that's interesting. I think that's an interesting episode. Well, it's you see it coming from a mile away. Who he's talking to? <laughs> no, I know you, but it doesn't matter. It's it's how easy people fall into that. I mean, yeah, yeah. I know that the ending's telescope, sure. But lastly, but not least, I thought I knew he directed a few of them. I didn't know he directed seventeen of them, and would have directed a lot more. He loved working on it. The problem was, is his stupid movie career got in the way. Darn it. Is there anybody of note that directed episodes of Alfred Hitchcock? Richard Donner. Oh, so he did that and Twilight Zone. Actually, okay. I don't I can't remember if it's Richard Donner or not. I didn't look oh. up who the directors were, but I thought if I said Richard Donner, nobody'd argue with me. 
Uh, hold on. I can tell you a couple. Yeah, I mean, I'm pulling it up now. I mean, and it's, yeah, because I would just say, while you all look that up, it would just seem to me that, you know, with Twilight Zone generating some, some talent off that one, you would think that Alfred Hitchcock, because it's Alfred flipping Hitchcock, would have some directors or, or somebody of note who created for that show. Steve McQueen, William Shatner starred tons of people like everything else did back in the day. I'm still trying to pull up the director. Sorry, guys, while we're talking. About Arthur this. Hiller. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, uh, of love story fame. Oh, and more importantly, the Norman Chad. Lloyd, the great of character see actor. no evil, just, hear no evil fame. Norman Lloyd, the great character actor who just passed away, guys. Yeah. Yep. Norman Lloyd directed 19 of the episodes. Wow. Nor- 19. That's insane. That is insane. Ida Lupino, she was famous. She's, oh, yeah. Yeah. She directed two of them. Robert Altman directed two of them. So there's. Um, wow. So it does have some high pick. Robert pick Stevenson. Thing. Robert Stevenson went on to do a few things. That's an art. Oh, yeah. Ida Lupino, who I believe was in an episode of Batman with Adam West. I could be wrong about that. I need to look that up. Robert Stevenson went on to direct Mary Poppins, Bed Noms and Broomsticks. I think Mary Poppins is one of our friend Glenn's favorite movies. I did not know about it until he just dropped that bombshell on me a while back. So I just find it fascinating about the story and the intros and outros, but I don't think a lot of people, and then it was successful and they did a return of it like they did the Twilight Zone in the 80s and that ran, the new Alfred Hitchcock Presents ran another three seasons. All right. Wow. Ready? Yep. Yep. I was right. She played Dr. Cassandra in the Joker's flying saucer and the entr- in the entrance, the entrancing Dr. Cassandra. Mm. God, I'm glad I got that one right first time in a few episodes. Well, oddly enough, Joe, I'm going to follow up yours with one that I must admit I've only seen an episode of. An at episode? At, okay. At one. But I am going to track down the rest of them. They sadly are not available. On region one episode, what? Nothing. Uh, no, but you you get you tell uh, me, Doctor Jerkface. Ah, uh, no, I was doing it for emphasis. Uh, I was doing it for em- emphasis. Emphasis. Yes, yes, anyway, emphasis. anyway, it's uh. So this, oddly enough, also had some people that worked on uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, uh, but this was made for British television. And if you can't get Alfred Hitchcock, who are you going to get? I know who I'm getting. Who? Steven Spielberg. Wrong. You're going to get somebody that has the same sort of gravitas. Actually, I would argue more gravitas than Alfred Hitchcock. You're going to get Orson Welles. Yes, I'm getting Steven Spielberg. Orson Welles' Great Mysteries was... Uh, aired on British television, ran for two seasons. Um, but the episode I've seen is The Monkey's Paw, which starred Patrick McGee, Cyril Cusack, and Meg Jenkins. Doesn't matter. That being said, these were all literary based episodes, these were all mystery novels or stories or all of that stuff. Um, the cast in some episodes included Ian Holm. Eli Wallach, Patrick McNee, uh, Michael Gambon, Harry Andrews, Joan Collins, Christopher Lee and Jane Seymour, Donald Pleasance, Dean Stockwell, 
et cetera, et cetera. I could go on. But the fact they were all based on mystery novels or mystery stories, the Monkey's Paul probably is the darkest episode and the only one that really has anything that's sort is of- Is it good? I need to watch it. I've never seen it. And I'm always a huge fan of the Monkey's Paul. Um, I, I mean, I remember it being good. I remember it following the story pretty exactly. It ends on that cliffhanger, so to speak, type of thing. Um, but again- I mean, some of the episodes include like the inspiration of Mr. Bud. If you're not familiar with that story, I want to see the episode because it's about a barber. And the barber's business is going downhill. And he knows he's the best barber in town. But there's a guy that opens a barbershop across the street who's cheaper than he is. And he keeps seeing all that stuff. But then one day somebody comes in and he recognizes the guy because the guy says, I want you to dye my hair. And as he's dyeing the guy's hair, he realizes he's the murderer that they've been looking for. And that's why he needs his hair dyed. And so you have this entire moment where this old barber, who's not strong enough to fight this guy off, has to re- has to determine what he's going to do about the fact that he's doing the hair of a murderer. And is he going to act on it? Is he going to try to get the reward for capturing him? What is he going to do? And so it's stories like that. It's very much Hitchcockian. It just happens to be what the British did, which is really funny that the British went, you know what we're going to do? Are we going to get Hitchcock over here? No, no. Get Orson Welles. See if he'll do it. Two seasons. Orson Welles wrote his own intro and outros. Um, The music was done by some hack named John Barry. Uh, Episodes were directed by Alan Gibson, Peter Sykes, Peter Sasty, Philip Seville, James Furman, and Alan Cook. But Orson Welles wrote all of his own, like I said, intros and outros and did obviously all the framing work. Only ran for two seasons. There's 26 episodes because they're British seasons. Um, ran on air from September 73 to February 74. So it would, didn't run full American seasons by any means. That being said, I remembered that one episode and I'm like, do I, did I hallucinate? Because I never saw Orson Welles do a monkey's paw. And then I realized when I was looking up anthology shows, I'm like, that's what I saw. It's the only episode I've seen. But as we were doing research for this, I was like, I've got to mention Orson Welles' Great Mysteries because that one episode has stuck with me probably 20 years now. And I, I don't even know where I saw it. Probably uh, I have an aunt that used to get all the early British television channels. I'm sure that's where I saw I it. I need to see it too now. I, I do too. I didn't. Up. Did you know it existed? I never heard of it. I knew he worked in television. But by the way, uh, Orson loved American television. Dick Van Dyke. Lucy. I mean, he was on Lucy. He came back to do Lucy in the 50s. But again, these are just great old school mystery stories um, that never, I mean, you know, just stuff that I I would like to see. So um, right now they're only available on Region 2 DVDs, but I'm thinking because there's a couple other British shows I want that did get American releases, but the American releases are a hundred dollars a season and stuff or a hundred dollars for the series, but I can get it on British uh, on region two for 40 bucks. And I can get a region two DVD player now for 20 bucks. So I think I'm just going to get a region two player and pick up some of the stuff that I want, including this Orson Welles one. It's a good story. You're going to pick up some cookies and milk while you're out. No, I don't want to get diabetes. Why don't you mock me a little bit more? Why don't you have some more sugar? I'll get some cookies. All <laughs> right. So while we're let's go around and name some of the ones that we really love. One I left out that I should have talked about, but I just had more about Hitchcock was I love Charlie Brooker's uh, Black Mirror. Yeah. yeah, Black Mirror. It's good. Black Mirror, man. I, I 
you know, I will crawl near and far to watch a show or a movie with good writing. And I tell you, Black Mirror almost always has really damn good writing. And some great ideas. Yeah. You all next? No, uh, I'm we we talked about Outer Limits, but I do want to talk about my favorite episode of Outer Limits. It's it's from the newer version from the 90s. Um, it does stick with me. I said it's one of my favorite episodes of television. It is one of my favorite episodes of television. Um, it is The Sentence with David Hyde Pierce, uh, directed by Joseph Scanlon and written by Melissa Rosenberg, who, if you don't know who Melissa Rosenberg is, she she actually just wrote, she was the lead creator for and created uh, Jessica Jones for Netflix, now on Disney+. Plus. Um, it's a great episode about this inventor, Jack Hansen. Um, he has created what is called a virtual prison, which basically... Somebody gets sentenced to, to prison and they can serve their sentence in a matter of hours versus their entire life. And he actually goes into the, um, the, the device and experiences what it's like and understands what the, the, the horror of, just, of justice actually is serving life in prison. Um, it's a really great episode if you haven't seen it. So I, uh, the, 90s, uh, the 90s version of The Outer Limits, I don't think gets enough credit for what it was. I agree. I agree. Uh, There's some good and, 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 and in a lot Canadian, it's, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't get as much play. And there's some good stars in it. There's some great actors. In oh, it. yeah, yeah. Um, yep. But now, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I briefly wanted to mention The Outer Limits because it it is uh, next to Twilight Zone, one of the more classic anthology series, in my opinion. James, James. I, 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 what I want to mention, because it originally in, a, in the United States started on HBO, ended up on the USA Network. You got to give the devil his due. Speaking of Alfred Hitchcock, you have to give some credit to the Ray Bradbury Theater of the 80s. Um, Ray Bradbury Theater ran for six seasons. Pause real quick. I thought he was going to say, you got to give Red Shoe Diaries the credit it's due. <laughs> now, most I don't think I ever saw an episode of that. I don't think I ever have, but oh, I, I have. I am going to say Red Shoe Diaries, we need to give it its due. But yes, you're right. I always like the Bradbury one because it's him typing and talking at the beginning. Yeah, it and was he a, would go something, over, something, this is what inspired this, yeah. and then you would get the show. And I mean, the people on it, the cast, James Coco, William Shatner, Peter O'Toole, Drew Barrymore, John Saxon, John Glover. If you're a fan of genre actors, this was your show. Lucy Lawless, David Carradine, I could go on. Um, there's just so many David Ogden Steer. I'll stop. That being said, um, and they were all based on things Ray Bradbury had wrote. A Sound of Thunder, The Velt, Sun and Shadow, Here There Be Tigers. On and on, Ray Bradbury wrote a lot. Um, so I, again, just thinking about anthology and looking at science fiction type stuff instead of horror. Again, we see a ton of horror and mysteries in in anthologies for movies and television. But I want to talk about Ray Bradbury uh, 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 theater because it did run so long, but it seems to be largely forgotten. Outside I agree. Of, it's outside of forgot, not like the Red Shoe Diaries. No, yeah. no. If I if one more person says I wanted to show you my Red Shoe Diaries fan script, I'll be. I, I'm why telling are you, you trying to show it to me. It is burned in my head. I actually saw a couple episodes of Red Shoe Diaries, and one of them's uh, David Duchovny 
walking through a park with his okay, dog. Okay, but he was the guy that did the intros, right? Yeah, he did the I intro. Yeah, it's, right. it's him walk with Vaseline on the lens, walking through the, the park with his dog. I think there's there's a balloon vendor involved, and he sits down and he starts to read this diary, and then you get into the softcore porn. <laughs> because that's what Ray Bradbury was missing. There's like a sound of thunder has dinosaurs and softcore. What do you mean there's no softcore porn? There's just dinosaurs. I'm like, why is this man walking around in various, in, in David Duchovny walking through various scenes and, and looking completely nonchalant, reading porn? I mean, that's what he's doing. That's the whole episode. Would you rather him look chalant? I just like the title of Sound of Thunder. Um, <laughs> What an I, awful, I, awful movie in the early 2000s that was. Oh, God, that is a terrible... Ben it's Kingsley, right? Watchable, yes. Yeah, yeah. What's worse, that or Love Guru with Ben Kingsley? I don't know. Uh, no, Sound of Thunder is much worse. Okay. Oh, that's um, yeah, it's pretty bad. I, I've got one more honorable mention that I have to mention because I love them and I don't think... Red Shoe Diaries, I don't give a um, shit. I, I, I love them and I don't think we're going to get any more of them and it makes me really sad uh short treks the the short films they did on star trek that looked at different corners of the star trek universe some yeah. of them were animated some of them were live action some of them looked at weird little corners the one of, was of good i meant. enjoyed the one with the with the, the explosion and the, right before what was that one what's the alternate version oh, I it's a different perspective of the of the oh of the one that happens. In James has really got to quit wearing sunglasses on this because I thought he froze. We can't see the man blink. But what, what the, you said? There's an explosion. That's a lot of Star Trek, sir. There's a lot of explosions. There's not as much as there are in Star Wars. I like the one with Rain Wilson. Oh, the 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 mud one where he's an android. Yeah. The end, spoiler. Uh, now, are you talking about the one where it shows the kids? Basically, with the kids, yeah, with the kids. Yeah, and it's. I mean, that's there's episodes that that's have a, a lot good of, one. Who? Which one? That's right before whatever blows that up. That was before Picard. Yeah, before. Um, uh, it's actually right before the explosions on Mars when the androids. That's it. it. Thank you, thank you, James. I couldn't remember. That was a damn good piece of television. Yeah. It, well, and some of them, like I really like enjoyed season two of Picard. Uh, I really enjoyed the uh, the tardigrade animated episode where they did that, you know, basically the Omaha of Nebraska uh, style. Here's nature, except it was set in the Star Trek universe. So it was like, yeah. here's a tardigrade. And it jumps through all the different, like it sees Khan, it sees all those stories and you see where all this is going. I, I think, uh, and I think that's, I, I love that. I know, um, Kurtzman said in his work because it won it it won uh, an Oscar for best movie ever. No, it won a Golden Globe, I think, or something. It won an award, an Emmy, an Emmy for shorts. Uh, and he said, "Surely they'll let us do more." And then I, I think they've kind of put a kibosh on it. But it beat out Panama Jack. <laughs> There's no such thing as Panama Jack. No, Whatever his name is, joke. I don't know. I was like, I ain't want <laughs> shit for my shorts other than look at them tree trunks, bitch. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, but I love short tricks, and I, I think it's it's a way to tell obscure stories that in the Star Trek universe that can't support a series. I, my dream would be to write one and have it just be uh, a ship's historian, because we know they exist. They're in all of, I think, three episodes of the different series. 
but that's somebody's job, right? And he has to like catalog the captain's logs and archive them and all that stuff. And then every blue moon, he gets called up to a mission and that's the worst day of his life when he actually has to go, what do you mean I got to beat down? Well, get the 80s uh, ship's historian up here to tell us what was going on during that time. There yeah, is- yeah. But I mean, because I mean, that's the entire plot of the first appearance. Of- a short, short skirt. Yeah, that's the first appearance of of Khan. He seduces the ship's historian. Yeah, yeah. So what's happened, James? Too late. You're not sexy enough. I, well, I don't think you. Why don't you go get your go go boots on? Shut the fuck up. I, I was gonna say I don't think you see me in I my short shorts. I would utter today. But anyway, that being said, I, I wish those would come back. Maybe awesome. they will. And maybe Kurtzman will see this and go, hey, why don't we let that kid try to write a script? And then I'll write it and he'll go, I'm sorry, this was a huge mistake. This is an absolute piece of garbage. Matter of fact, we're canceling every series now. You've taken the joy of life out of me. And then he'll kill himself in front of me. And I'll be sad. Are we good? Did we get enough in about the Red Shoe Diaries? Yeah, I think so. I think we need to do an entire episode of Red Shoe Diary about the Red Shoe Diary. I don't. I I again, I'm not going to watch any of them. I'll be like, I wanted to see blue shoes. And with that, we have our best, best episodes. Please, tattoos are part two. And actually, we already know what our next two or three episodes are going to be. So, if you have a problem with this. Please send us hate mail. We love hate mail. Give us a shout out. Say, I we hate. We just want the attention. I, we just want attention, whether it's negative or not. We're kind of like a toddler. All right. This has been Bonehead Weekly. Grrrr. <sighs>